Upper Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit UpperInFrisco.com. Oh, gosh, it's so fun to be together. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of kids in this church. It's fantastic. Um, Frisco's really fulfilled the, one of the original callings of man, which is to multiply. And <laughs> there's a lot of families. And it's just, it's really fun to watch parents grow into parenting and kids grow up. And uh, we've got a message today that is all about family culture. There were like three people that got excited about that. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. <laughs> okay. I know, like, we, we get, sometimes we get used to, like, self-help messages. This is not that, okay? This is not, like, self-help Christianity. This is the culture of heaven because uh, proper theology should lead to a thriving family, and thriving family should inform proper theology. They just go hand in hand. And so we want to talk about what it looks like to live connected why else do we want to talk about family culture? Um, because whether or not you've been intentional about it, your family has a culture. And whether or not you grew up in a family that was intentional about family culture or not, you grew up in a family that had a culture. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, today about culture in regards to marriages we and how that guys, trickles down. We want you guys to enjoy your marriages. Yeah. The, the world... The world be, will be really jealous of Christianity when they see us enjoying our marriages and enjoying our kids and see the, the, the joy that comes, the lasting joy of, of legacy and, and being together connected deeply for decades. I don't know about you, but like one of my dreams is to wake up Christmas morning 50 years from now and be like drowning in grandbabies. And I want it to be wild and loving and just full of life. I want our, and that, that happens when we develop intentionally a strong family culture, a strong family bond. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I wanted to talk, start by talking a little bit about um, our family cultures, otherwise known as our family of origin. So we can't really start talking about what we want until we talk about the building blocks that we were given to start with, right? Because how many of us know that we all carry things from the family that we were born in from our childhoods? If you look at anybody from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph, they all ended up having to deal with things based upon their family of origin at some point. We've talked about this before, but Joseph obviously got sold into slavery by his brothers. And then at one point in his life, he was so, he was successful. He had all these things come against him. He made the right choice. He made the right choice. But at the top of his game, his family shows up. And suddenly, the way that he responds starts to show that he is manifesting something from his family of origin, from his childhood. So um, to give you guys kind of an idea of us walking into marriage, everything, I came from a family I grew up internationally. Um, I came from a family that was fun and loud, but who would, uh, valued adventure and valued fun. But it was also a family with divorce and brokenness. 
with some healing. Um, there, was, there were a lot of emotions everywhere, but we weren't really able to name what those emotions were. They were very loud. But um, I ended up having some brokenness as I was growing up. I was most influenced probably by my mother. She was a really larger-than-life presence. She still is, for those in the room who know my mother. Yeah, thank you. Um, my mom is a pastor in the city, and she is a very loud, beautiful, fabulous presence. Um, but also, um, I grew up with like remarried parents, and three out of four of my parents were CEOs. So there were a lot of powerful people around with a lot of planning and not a lot of like, well, actually, they had a lot of ideas, and there wasn't a lot of planning. So I became very good at the planning aspect to help implement the ideas. I essentially had three job interviews with these CEOs <laughs> when I wanted Ashley to be my bride. <laughs> Should I tell, can I tell him what your dad said to me? Nope. Oh. <laughs> Let's just say he didn't care that I could play guitar. <laughs> <laughs> My birth dad, not my stepdad. My stepdad is, is an absolute doll. Mm -hmm. I came from a, a quiet, Jesus-loving, Midwestern family. We grew up in Michigan. Uh, I didn't know uh, how to talk about feelings, because I, I never saw anyone talk about feelings. Uh, or have feelings. <laughs> <laughs> and so... I had a I had a long I had a long journey uh, just discovering what you know all these emotions were not just how to manage them but how to just identify them and 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 talk about them communicating them was like a whole other step um, but my parents uh, loved me and affirmed me and my dad was the kind of guy who was at my soccer games and told me I could do it and my mom thought I was just a great artist and I could you know pursue my dreams um, but. So there was a lot of affirmation, but anything beneath the surface, we didn't talk about. I actually never saw my parents fight once. Like, they thought that it would be a good idea to never, ever show that. Or maybe they just never fought. That would be a huge miracle. But I never saw that, so I didn't know what healthy conflict looked like. So we both made, like, acknowledgments when we first started dating that there were some issues. Mine were a little bit more pronounced. I was a bit of a nightmare to date, not gonna lie. And I'm not gonna tell that story today, but so those of you who've heard it, it's, it's pretty fantastic. This guy is a hero, okay? Um, just no fear, pursuit, everything. Um, but when we started getting ready to get married, once we decided to get engaged, um, I, again, have to come up with a plan. I, de <laughs> I decided, I was like, hey, we are gonna make a plan because we are going to address, we're gonna acknowledge the things that we're bringing into this that are really great, that we love, but we're gonna make a plan to try and not make some of the same decisions or um, dare I say mistakes that the people before us had. So we started- We hung out with the Hans. We hung out with the Hans. And them why their marriage was so awesome. Mm -hmm. We began, like, I think we sat in front of like five different couples asking them why their marriage worked, like what was difficult and trying to find similar threads and I sat myself down in front of, you know, inner healing and counseling and everything that I could. Ashley wanted to divorce-proof this thing. I did. So we, we hung out with tons of different uh, 
couples whose marriages we, we respected. Um, and even though Ashley has a, a more uh, vibrant, colorful You can family, just call it obvious issues. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> mine mine were, were more subtle and manifested later in marriage. <laughs> Midwesterners were really good at stuffing <laughs> until you can't stuff anymore. And so um, I discovered I, I love therapy. Y'all, counseling, therapy is so important. And here's, here's the reason why. When the, the tricky thing about deception or being deceived in an area is you don't know you're deceived. When you're deceived, you don't know the area you're deceived in. That's like that's why it's not just being deceived, it's being deceived about being deceived. And so, which is, which is why you need uh, another set of eyes on your life uh, to give you, uh, you know, another opinion about what's going on and, and, to, and to shoot you straight. So, we endorse counseling and therapy and just... Small groups. Yes. Small groups. Let people know you. We... Uh... Pretty, not early on, but we, um, at some point we just started, to, we started uh, instituting annual heart checks, which were kind of like, you know how you take your car in and get, you know, look under the hood. We decided that once a year we were going to take our marriage in for a heart check and look under the hood, kick the tires, see how everything was going. Um, I did not love this at first. <laughs> <laughs> Again, planner. <laughs> we're going to make a plan and we're going to execute it. Um, but uh, here's the thing. So many of us, if something goes wrong with your body, it begins to get loud, and suddenly you realize, oh, I probably should go to the doctor and have that fixed. A lot of times if something goes wrong with our hearts, we tend to be able to walk around with it for a lot longer because it's inside and not outside. And the same way that your body should have an annual checkup, we started to apply that to our hearts, not just to our bodies. And when you have a cold, sometimes that cold can fix itself over time. A little bit of TLC, a little R&R, &R, and that cold will go away. But if you develop something more serious, a more serious disease, it takes more intentional input from specialists. You guys understand? Yeah. This stuff is, is important because it gives us the ability to make lasting, deep connections with people around us and God, like Jesus boiled everything down to love God and love people, and often our ability or inability to do, to do one is a direct reflection of the other. If we have trouble developing deep friendships with people, it's a symptom, which is a good thing. It's an indicator of some sort of deception or lie that we're believing about God, believing about ourselves, believing about our, uh, our lovability. But here's the thing, Jesus came, like his whole purpose in coming was to heal our hearts and reconcile us to the Father, to show us our value. Like his, you know, you're worth what someone pays for, right? If, if, if I put a picture of a painting up here and told you someone spent $30 million on that painting because an art collector saw it, from that day forward, that painting is going to be worth at least $30 million. The next time it sells, it'll probably sell for $35 or, or $40 million because art collectors know how much it is worth. Well, the art collector looked at you. And what did he pay for you? which means that you are actually worth the blood of Jesus. We can't disagree with God on this. 
He loves the stuffing out of you. He came to show you your value. And each one of us, we're, we're wonderful when we're known. Like, it's wonderful to know you, Alexis. And, and anything that's keeping us from being known, those are the things that we want to uh, bring into the light so the Lord can, can heal us. Um, one of the things Ashley brought up, uh, you know, how we've been married 15 years, have five kids, three under three years old at one point, which is bragging, but also telling you how uh, ignorant we are. Um, We're... <laughs> We've been through a lot. We, we failed at planting a church on the other side of the country. We suffered financial loss and, you know, and had to process failure and failing each other. And I want to let you guys know that one important key to enduring through all of that was living in community, living known. We had people, person after person, show up with encouragement or financial help when we were desperately in need. And um, our, when, when we think that we're unlovable or we have some, some deception in there, it keeps us from connecting with com community, which will actually be the thing that costs us most greatly when we need help the most. You don't want to find yourself in a day of trouble without a community like this, let me tell you. And we all take turns being strong, and your turn to be weak will come up. And you want to have 12 people in your corner who will help carry you through that time. And that only happens through transparency and vulnerability. You want to talk about that? Uh, you see how I set that one up? He did. I did better that time. Golly. Um, so before we kind of get started on some, you know, some instructional, some, you know, again, I like lists. We've got some lists. Um, but I wanted to talk about some definitions real quick, um, just to set up some things that we're going to be talking about. The difference between transparency and vulnerability. Transparency says that you can see what's going on with me, or you can know what is going on inside of me. Vulnerability says you can know what's going on inside of me, and you have the ability to affect me. Um, the next one we're going to talk about real quick is what is shame? By talking about what shame is, we have to talk about what shame isn't. Guilt is the feeling I feel when I've done something wrong. Shame is the feeling that I feel when I believe that I am what's wrong. Don't drop the mic though, because it's breakable. Thanks, honey. Um, next, I wanted to say uh, the definition of identity. When we talk about identity coming up, identity is who God says you are. That's it. Your identity is who God says you are. I don't know if you guys are, are like me, but I'm tired of false humility in the church. Um, you're awesome. You are made to be awesome because God is awesome. God is great. And so your desire to be great is from God because you want to be like your dad. So humility isn't, it, humility is agreeing with the truth. Of, of who you are. And we've gotten so uh, twisted up that we call self-hatred humility or self-deprecation humility. And, and we call uh, confidence pride. But you're, you're made to be confident. You're made to shine with the glory of an all-powerful God. Like you are absolutely amazing and awesome. Um, when I was talking a little bit about us dating and how I was a nightmare. 
Um, I have this phrase, this uh, saying that I say, which is that dating is like a mirror. Suddenly, all the things that you thought that you dealt with are staring you at the face again, staring you in the face again. <laughs> Marriage is like a magnifying glass, and children are like a microscope. <laughs> you laugh because you know. Um, I think the number one thing I tell single people to look for in a spouse, other than love God, like love God, um, is teachability. Because no matter what happens in your marriage, you will grow and you will change. And it is so important to be tethered and in and, covenant with someone who knows how to grow and change. One of my favorite questions, or one of our favorite questions to ask to people when we're doing premarital counseling is this. Oh, you want to tell them the question? Yeah. Uh, tell us a time when you thought you were right, discovered you were wrong, and what did you do about it? Because that one question will tell you a lot about where somebody's at. <laughs> I like watching around the room. People are trying not to look at someone <laughs> while I say that. <laughs> Side eye. Um, the last quick thing that I want to I want to say is that we attract the level of healing that we have. Woo! We attract the level of healing that we have. So, again, when it comes to taking responsibility for ourselves, when I, when I looked at everything that I did or did not want us to have, the first thing I did was try and take responsibility for myself. Is that me? Yeah. And another thing. No, <laughs> yeah. well, here's the thing. Marriage is about refinement. I think a lot of us are thinking, I just can't wait to get married because it's going to make me so happy. But the thing is, it, it won't always make you happy. What happens when you stop being happy? When you're looking for someone to marry, you're looking for the person that you are looking to have, like say, I, I'm okay and I desire for the, who you are to refine me for the rest of my life. Because he doesn't make me happy all the time. Most of the time. <laughs> Most of the time. But if I didn't have a partner to know how to go through all of the messy or the hard stuff with, I say, here, I say this to people sometimes too. Your marriage can be falling apart and everything in your life can be going right. And you're not, not everything's, everything's not okay. Your marriage can be strong and safe and, and, and fighting and good, and everything around you in the world can be burning, and you're okay. It's true. It's, we see this often with like career choices, and you know, your, your whole job, your whole career life can fall apart, but if your, your closest relationships are strong, if your marriage is strong, then you're, you're okay. But the opposite is not true. Like if, when your marriage is falling apart and everything else is good, it's, it's the pain of, of, of your lifetime. And we want to be like delicate when we talk about these things because we know that this is an emotionally heated, uh, you know, tender topic. And some of our closest friends and friends in this room, you've experienced failure in marriage or, or divorce. And, and, and we want to just be cognizant that we're not, we're not trying to say things flippantly or, 
or make us you know, revisit regrets. We want to equip us to move forward into healthier friendships in the future. Um, we were talking a little bit about bringing family of origin stuff into your relationship, and there was early on when we were dating, um, I remember what we were fighting about. I, don't, I doubt he does, but I was mad because he wasn't doing what I wanted him to do. And so we were at my apartment, and I went into my kitchen, and I started cleaning dishes. And he kept trying to talk to me, and he got nothing. And I was slamming pots down, and I'm doing the dishes, and he's, what did you say to me? I said, honey, you know that the silent treatment is a form of emotional manipulation, right? No joke, this is what he said to me. As if that would diffuse the situation. And I, I'm banging pots around, and I lift one up, and I go, well, this is how my family fights. And he just goes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, I just heard it. <laughs> and I, because I never saw my parents fight, I wanted to defuse every fight preemptively before we talked about any issues. So I would just apologize uh, because I wanted to get back to... <laughs> Because he knew, he was, like, he, was like, he was like, I know I'm right. I don't care apologizing. <laughs> Wanted to get back to smooching, not talking. So. Mm -hmm. It took three years being married before he finally fought back. And when he did, we were in the middle of a heated discussion. And, I was, and he said something to me, and I was like. <clears throat> she laughed. I was like, I'm still mad. <laughs> Give me a second. <laughs> And I was like, okay, now we can do this. I really mustered up some courage, and I was like, that really hurt my feelings. <laughs> it was much more direct, but I was very proud of you. And he hasn't stopped since, even though I may have wanted him to. <laughs> okay, so how do, we, uh, how do we communicate well? How do we fight fair? Is this me? Yeah, this is you. This? Because I had the most to learn, these are important things that I've learned along the way, maybe especially for husbands, I don't know. Um, but here's another trick. Just keep a, like me, keep a photo of your, of your wife as your lock screen on your phone. That way when life is really, really hard, you look at it and you say, if I can handle her, I can handle anything. <laughs> Is joke. <laughs> Although I will tell you something that I heard from someone recently. They were going through something really, really difficult. And the person that was walking them through uh, their marriage trauma, they made them keep uh, a picture of the other at the age of five on their phone. And so when they got super angry, they were processing through something, they were supposed to take out that picture and look at that picture while they were processing the feelings that they were having. It's such a great idea. Okay, so uh, things I learned about fighting fair is try to actually listen without thinking of a counter-argument, <laughs> without forming like what you're going to say in response. Um, and then, step two, I don't know if these are steps. It's all just an amalgamation of things happening all at the same this time. Is, so I asked him, I was like, hey, what do you feel like you've learned from communication? Own when they are right about something verbally. 
okay? So, like, they might have three grievances with you all at once, and 1.5 of them are very true. Own them and say, first of all, your, your feelings are valid, and I think that you're right here. Because then it facilitates more conversation. That humility brings grace into the conversation. Uh, another thing about humility is our ability to apologize is huge. You know, we all know some of those couples who've been fighting about something silly so long they forgot about what they were fighting about it because no one is going to the cross first. No one is apologizing first, getting low. Um, and then another thing, I learned is the ability to express a feeling word. It goes like this. It seems really simple to probably most of you in the room, but it's not simple to me. It's, it's when you did this, I felt this. And most of us, like we understand that sentence, but what comes after I felt is usually not a feeling. It's usually I feel like you're a jerk. And you don't, you don't respect me. <laughs> That's not a feeling word. Feeling like someone else is a jerk is not your own emotion. Okay, so it looks like this. When you did this, I felt scared uh, and confused, and I felt uh, unseen, which made me uh, afraid. And, and you, you dive into what you, the emotion that you're feeling because you're, you're best friend, when they see that you're hurt, that, that is the opportunity for compassion to rise up in them. A lot of times when we say, I feel like, that means that most of the time, like is going to be followed by a critique. I don't know why this is, but usually guys are worse at this. And so I, when I was 23 years old, I was interning under this awesome pastor, and he was discipling me and four other guys, and we would meet every week, and he was really good in therapy and had, had a lot of breakthroughs in his own anger issues, and so he would sit down and ask us, okay, guys, so how are we feeling today? And good, awesome, good, 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 good. <laughs> and then he would pull out a feeling chart and be like, do you see that good is not a feeling? Fine is not a feeling. So look at the feeling chart. <laughs> Identify a f one of these feelings that you might be feeling and verbalize it. And I tell you, like, it seems so like kindergarten, but I needed that at 23 years old. I need that at 39 years old. <laughs> Love languages? Oh, right. Who's familiar with the five love languages? Yeah. So you have what? You have words of affirmation? Mm -hmm. Well, let me, let me say this first. The love languages, what they are, all they mean is, this is how I feel known. Yes, it's how I feel loved, but I feel loved because I feel known. So I can give you words of affirmation. I can say, you're awesome, you're great, I love you. But a words of affirmation person feels seen and known when you acknowledge something about them that's about them. Like, your writing transports me to the place that you're writing about. Thank you, honey. Yeah. See, she's an amazing writer. Um, same thing, okay, so you have physical touch. Physical touch people, they have a constant, like, they have this like scale. 
in their bodies, like in their minds, inside that just says like, I haven't gotten enough affection today. Now, there's mothers who have gotten touched by little people all day. And that is not the same as physical touch that fills up. That's physical touch that takes away. And so what it, like, there is the ability for physical touch to actually drain us and not fill us up. Um, gifts, gifts, you can give somebody like, I don't know, like a Louis Vuitton handbag or something. And if that's not something that they're... They're that, super crunchy. They're a hippie. Yeah. And they it's, don't like it. That, even if they're a gifts love language person, it's not going to bless them. Um, I'm, I'm a gifts love language person, and I get loved when Jeremy brings a Kit Kat home and puts it in the fridge because he knows that I like to eat cold Kit Kats. How many times did I bring you the wrong flowers before you told me what flowers you oh. like? <laughs> anyway. Um, quality timer. Quality timers feel loved when you just sit with them and they get to just tell you everything that's going on in their heart and their mind. And when they get to be one-on-one -on -one with people. It fills them up. It makes them feel known to be able to know that you know them. Uh, the last one is, I think, acts of service is the last one I'm at. Acts of service people, you can go and you can, like, mow their lawn. But if they have somebody that already does that, an acts of service love language person feels, feels loved and known and seen when you do what it is that they need help doing. They need you to take something off of their plate. They walk into a house or a place somewhere and they see everything that needs to be done. That's him. It's true. Do you want to um, talk about conflict? Yeah. Um, so there's always going to be messes. But here's, here's what we do. Here's my list. Here's my lit where my list begins. Um, don't start with the person, start with the Lord. We're not, just like Jeremy was saying about feelings, we're not always able to identify our feelings. It's important to be able to stop and say, okay, Lord, what am I feeling? And what do I need? Because if we go, as soon as we get triggered into that conflict, straight into this, right over here, into conversation and conflict, there's going to be a lot of, I feel like you coming out of my mouth, rather than me stopping and sitting with the Lord and saying, what am I feeling? What do I need? And acknowledging certain things like anger is a secondary emotion. Anxiety is a secondary emotion. What does that mean? It means that those are like the powerful, brave, big brother emotion that's kind of covering up the more vulnerable little brother emotion. That was huge for me to realize that the whole anger being a secondary emotion thing is, uh, guys, we, we default often with anger, not knowing that anger is covering up what's actually going on like beneath that. It, sometimes it's a, the third level uh, emotion, that, but that's the one that manifests, but we don't know that we're scared. But guys aren't, we're like, we're raised to be trained to not express that we're scared. It's just the total opposite of what we should be doing, which is expressing when we're feeling scared or exposed or uh, un uncertain. And, but um, anger is usually the one that manifests. And it's a, good, 
it's a good indicator for you to dive deeper now. Like if you realize you're manifesting anger, begin to ask why. What, what's the actual emotion underneath this? Which can sometimes look like I feel disrespected. I feel not listened to. I, there's a lot of different things that you can go to easily from there. Um, the next thing is to separate your spouse's identity from the conflict. We are not what we do. Remember what identity is? Identity is who God says you are. So identity would be who God says they are. Um, can, okay, I heard this recently. It was a rhyme. It says, connect with the sad and it doesn't make them bad. You can connect with the sad and it doesn't make them bad. This means that you can feel an emotion without making the other person the bad guy. I'll give you guys an example. Um, my grandmother died several years ago, and I got this beautiful Persian rug that, that was in my, has been in my family for years and years and years. And when we got home from a trip last month, there was a flood, and there had been water dripping on my grandmother's rug. And so Jeremy Shuck, the doll that he is, got it outside, got fans on it, was drying it out. Once it was finally dry, he's out. He took it out in the driveway and he was vacuuming it. And he rolled it up like, yay, brand new rug. And then I walked outside the next morning and it was still outside. I had outside. forgotten it outside. And it had rained. I hate this story. I know. He's, he's such a doll to let me tell the story. <clears throat> but I had two choices. To go in there and be like, I can't believe you basically ruined my grandmother's rug. Or I could acknowledge, I'm really sad. That doesn't mean that he's the bad guy here. And how do I communicate to him that I'm sad? And how can he listen and hear what I'm saying just because I'm sad or just because you're sad doesn't mean I'm bad? Because it goes the other way around. A lot of times when we get confronted by somebody about something that we've done, we immediately take it as an identity accusation rather than somebody sharing their feelings and their process and their journey with us. Yeah, and I was triggered because I had failed and failure is, uh, you know, something that you get reprimanded for. And um, even, and I was trying to do something, even when I was trying to do something good, it ended up bad. And so I was like super triggered. And I just, it just came out of my mouth even. I was like, but I, I just, I can't handle the guilt. <laughs> I tried. And so we actually had to say that to each other. I was like, hey, you're not bad. I just need you to know that I'm sad. Yeah. And that was us processing. Another big thing that helps when you're in the middle of conflict is to stay curious. Rather than take accusation or make accusation, keep asking questions about why or how they're feeling. So, okay, and also clarifying statements are also really important. So what I'm hearing is, like, are you trying to say this? Because here's another thing that happens. There's a difference sometimes between intention and perception. So not only do we have family of origin filters, but we also have, you know, spiritual filters. We have what I ate for breakfast or haven't eaten today filters that are, that are getting in between what he's trying to convey to me and what I'm receiving from what he's trying to convey to me. Does that make sense? Um, I knew of a couple, when they first got married, they were constantly getting into these fights because they were learning how to communicate with one another apart from all of their stuff and their families. And she would make this face. 
And whenever she would make this face when he was kind of going off, it would just take it to the next level because he was like, that is so disrespectful. That is the most disrespectful face. But for her, she was like, I'm confused. It was, her face was trying to say, she, her intention was, I'm so confused right now. And he was like, she's being disrespectful to me. And so there was, there was this process where they had to actually stop and identify, what is the, you're making this face. I don't, what are you feeling right now? And then suddenly all this extra tension they were having got diffused when he began to understand, that's not your intention. You're not intending to disrespect me. You want to start to wrap up with some uh, closing statements and we can revisit this in the yeah. coming week? Um, so I want to give us some questions to start. I was talking about sitting with the Lord and asking some different questions of him and, and of yourself. And so the way to kind of begin figuring out how do I want to reset culture or set culture um, within my life, within my marriage, within our family, um, here are some questions to start. Who am I? I know that sounds silly and we could joke about it, but what are things that you know about who you are? Who are you together? Who are you and your spouse together? If you're not married, this can be um, just starting at who am I, knowing who you are, knowing the kind of the ups and downs of what your habits are. What's the goal of your marriage? What dreams do you have individually? What dreams do you have together as a family? What dreams do you have financially? What, what are your goals for your friendship to grow through seasons? What is your greatest dream for your children in their teens and your children in adulthood? This is if you have kids. What do you want your children to remember about their childhood? That's a huge one. What do you hope your children will look for in a spouse? And what do you hope they take into their family from your family? And last, what will it cost to get those goals? And what will it require of you? And what will it require of both of you? Mm. Isn't this good? I feel like I got delivered up here just talking about stuff. <laughs> um, and A lot actually, of practicals. I think there's power present for that. So can we just stand and welcome the Holy Spirit into our marriages? Yeah. and into our closest relationships, and into our ability to make friends. Our future marriages. Future marriages. Yeah. Can you just do something physical and put a hand on your heart? This just sometimes connects you to what the Lord's doing. Lord, help, help me to love me. Help us to love ourselves, to love our spouses, to see people the way that you see them. Help us to learn how to, to communicate really well, to identify feelings and heal us from the wounds of our families of origin. Heal us from the self-inflicted wounds. Heal us from the shameful moments of our lives. Lord, and just completely eradicate the power of shame that we would come out of hiding and have deep connections with our spouses, with our kids, and most importantly with you, Lord. We pray that you would uh, bring about deliverance in this moment. Those places that are trigger-worthy, just heal us in those places. Lord, and give us amazing 
marriages, friendships, families. In Jesus' name, amen.